0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you and uh, gather together around this communion table later in the service. And to prepare our hearts for that, we're going to open God's Word and look again at the book of John, John chapter 5. You'll want to turn there. Uh, It's going to be a lengthy section, but one in which we can certainly uh, cover in our time this morning. It's a discourse by Jesus. That's what this has been since verse 16. 16 through 47, a discourse by Jesus speaking to the religious leaders who are opposing him, speaking to them and declaring to them that he is God, that he is God. He is the word made into flesh. He is God, one with God, equal to God and Jesus doesn't just declare that he lays out all kinds of evidence as to the truthfulness of that declaration and he presents that evidence so clearly and it's been demonstrated so clearly throughout the book of John and the other gospels and throughout the ministry of Christ and you wonder how in the uh, the presence of so much evidence can there be rejection how can they, with all this light that they're seeing and all that they're hearing, how can there be rejection? I remember when I first became a Christian, I wanted to tell everyone about what had happened to me. I remember my neighbors and, and where I was living at the time in college and I wanted everyone to know what had taken place. I got a copy of Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Now, some of you may not even know what that book is, but that was back in our time of a great apologetic on the resurrection of Jesus. It was excellent. Apologetics. Man, you got all this proof. How can anybody not believe? How can anybody without all of the wonderful testimonies that you hear not believe? I used to think, I would think, I'd say, surely no one would turn down this message. And folks, they do. They do. You can tell them every apologetic you know about everything. And they can still, in the face of that much light, still be unwilling to believe. Look at verse, are you in John 5, by the way? Did I say open your Bibles to John 5? Did I say that? We're in John 5. Verse 40. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. See that? So much evidence. And we're going to see even more of that this morning. Life is found in Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in him has everlasting life. But you are unwilling to come to me. You have no desire to come to me that is that is the verdict that is the indictment on humanity unwillingness unwilling the sinner is unwilling even when faced with evidence understand that even with fa- faced with un- with the evidence there's still that unwillingness it didn't take me long to learn what paul was saying when the, he said that Satan has blinded eyes, it didn't take me long to understand that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. unless God does something, unless God does something, that condition just does not change. Look at John chapter three, flip back to John chapter three. You see the gospel so clearly stated in verse 16, you're familiar with this verse. John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel message, very concise. Go down to verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. That's what, that's what was uh, prayed earlier by Doug. God took our wrath. God takes your wrath away. And you will not face judgment if you believe in him. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19 This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. Their deeds are evil. I'd rather hold on to my darkness. I'd rather walk in darkness. I'd rather hold on to my deeds. I don't want to change. I want to live with the, uh, 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 an illusion of my autonomy that I'm accountable to no one. I want to live like that. And man is therefore unwilling. In John chapter five, back to John chapter five, we have seen Jesus make claims that are astounding to those who are listening to him talk to you and I No, it's no we understand that it's Christmas we understand that incarnation God became flesh we understand all of that but to these people that heard this look at John 5 verse 16 for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things what was he doing he was healing a guy that had been sick crippled for 38 years by the pool he healed that guy. Tells that guy to get up, pick up his pallet, and walk. Uh, and that for that reason, the Jews are persecuting him because he was doing them on the Sabbath. Jesus provoked this whole scene by doing it on the Sabbath. He wanted this confrontation. Verse 17, he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Hey, listen, I work on the Sabbath because God works on the Sabbath. I do what God does. God is my father. Whoa, whoa. Another problem, verse 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. It wasn't just a Sabbath problem now. Now this man is claiming to be equal with God. See that? Calling God his own father, verse 18, making himself equal with God. And then Jesus then begins his discourse, giving the evidences why this is true. And we've seen them together. I'm I'm just going to review them very quickly for you. Verse 19, I imitate God. What I see God doing, I do. I imitate him. His works are my works. Verse 21, he raises the dead, I raise the dead. Verse uh, 22, he, he is the judge, I am the judge. Verse 23, you worship God the Father, you worship God the Son. It's one God, one essence of God. I and the Father are one. I, too, am worthy of that worship. Verse 25, 26, 27, all the way to verse 29. I raise the spiritually dead. God raises the spiritually dead. God the Father raises the spiritually dead. That's something only God can do, verses 25 and 26. I also raise the physically dead. And one day, I will be the judge of the entire human race. It gives all of these evidences to why he and the Father are one. And then we come this morning to verse 30. In this section and following, in this section and following, he is now going to say to them, Let me give you some testimonies to the truthfulness of this claim. Let me gives one who will testify with three different testimonies as to why my claim is true. You see you got you just can't testify for yourself, you know. You just can't you, you know, that's not a test you got to have it you got to have somebody testify on your behalf. And that's the point. Who is Jesus going to call to testify on his behalf? And that's what we see in these verses. This morning, the Jews had a rule that they knew very well from Deuteronomy 18, uh, excuse me, from the book of Deuteronomy, that you needed two or three witnesses to confirm something. You can't just let your own words be the testimony. Let me explain how this works. Look at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I can't do anything that is not the Father's will." He um, says, I, I, "I do not seek to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Who can God call? Who can Christ call now to witness, be a witness and to testify on His behalf? And we see that in verse 31. If I alone, beginning in verse 31, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. It doesn't mean he's a liar. It just simply means that from their perspective, they need more evidence. It's like when you do a marriage certificate, you sign that, you have to have somebody, a witness, verify your signature. It can't be you that verifies your signature. You have somebody else verify your signature. That's kind of what's going on here. I give other witnesses. God I call God to the stand and let God provide the testimonies for you to my truthfulness. That's what's happening in these verses. Crazy people say they're God. A lot of crazy people say they're God, right? But you need proof. You need more proof. You've seen what I've just told you in the previous verses, but now let me give you the testimony of God himself. Self-witness is not good enough. You need more witnesses than that. So I call God. That's what he does. There is another, verse 32, who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. It doesn't really tell you who this person, this another is, except you notice that the pronoun he is capitalized. That tells you the context points this to the fact that he's talking about God the Father here. So Jesus introduces God now into the discussion. Who else can back up Jesus' claim? Who better than God himself to back up Jesus' claim to be God, the Son? Only God, the Father, can do that. And so God gives three testimonies to us in the following verses. The first we see in verse 33 is John the Baptist. We've said much about John the Baptist. He's going to say another testimony is the miracles that Christ performed, and another testimony is going to be the Old Testament Scripture. He goes from the lesser to the greater, by the way. The lesser being the testimony of John the Baptist. It gets a little more greater with the miracles, but the greatest is the Old Testament Scriptures. That's your greatest testimony right there. You're going to see that in the following verses. First, we start with John the Baptist. This is one complete paragraph of God's testimony using each of these witnesses. John the Baptist, you have sent, verse 33 says, you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. They believed Initially, they believed that God was speaking through John. They believed that after 400 years of silence between Old Testament and New Testament, God now brings a prophet on the scene. His name was John, John the Baptist. And they affirmed this. They sent religious leaders out to him. They didn't discourage people even from going to him at first. There was a lot of excitement about John. John. A lot of messianic expectation because of John and his preaching that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And they got caught up in it. The religious leaders got caught up in that at the beginning. They even sent a committee to find out about him. Go to verse 19 of John chapter 1. Turn over to John chapter 1. This is the testimony of John, verse 19 of chapter 1. We studied this a few months ago. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And John answers by saying, I'm the herald. I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm a voice. I'm a voice. I'm not the Messiah. I'm a voice. Notice how he does that. Verse 23 In John chapter 1. I I am a voice of one crying the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord as the Isaiah as Isaiah the prophet said. Go to verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points to Christ makes that proclamation. This is he, verse 30 says, on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he, noticed, existed before me. Well, I thought you were six months older than your cousin, John. No. Acknowledging deity here. He existed before me. Verse 32 of John chapter 1. And te- John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained on him, and I, I I have seen myself and have testified that this is the Son of God. So that's the first witness. John testified, John testified that this one is one that God sent. Flip back to verse 6 of chapter 1. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. See that? God sent John. God sent John to be a witness to the truthfulness of Christ's claim to be God in human flesh. John was a a tool, a real witness. He came preaching repentance and forgiveness that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 34, go back to John chapter 5, verse 34. John chapter 5, verse 34. Continuing on with the same uh, point here. The testimony which I receive is not from man. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders. He says, but the testimony which I receive, it's not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Listen, I'm giving you the opportunity to be saved. To the religious leaders he's speaking, I'm giving you... The opportunity to be saved. I've started with John the Baptist, his testimony. John 5, verse 35. John the Baptist, he was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He wasn't the light, he was a lamp. He reflected the light. He was not just a prophet, he was a lamp. Um He prepared you to see the light. John was a preliminary light to the bright light that would come. And he came preaching, like I said, forgiveness and repentance of sin. And he says in that verse, you were willing to rejoice for a while. See that in verse 35? There was an initial enthusiasm about him. There was an initial, look who's coming. Somebody's coming and speaking things we really like to hear. And there was agreement and excitement and lots of people coming out, going out to see John. But when John started calling them a brood of vipers, and when John started talking about repentance, and John started talking about a baptism of repentance, a proselyte type baptism, a baptism that meant you had to get in the water and be dunked, and because it's what, it was a ritual that converts from Gentile converts would go through to become Jews. You had to see yourself, you had to see yourself as no better than a Gentile. That you were just as separated from God as the Gentiles were. And you had to go through that experience. And he became unpopular with the religious leaders, still very popular with the people, and they believed he was sent from God. And so... Some people today are like this, some people today are like this. They they like what they initially hear until it gets tough, until the words of Christ get personal, until the words of Christ get to the heart. And you start feeling uncomfortable with the words and claims of Christ. It's okay if he's just a great teacher. It's okay if he's just a great man and he's a great moral guy and all of those kinds of things. But when he starts making demands on my life and my behavior, I am not interested anymore. The enthusiasm goes away. That's many where the seed falls on Shallow ground, right? You get excited for a while, grows up for a little while, and it fades away. It never takes root. All right, now go to verse 36. This is the second witness. God gave this witness as well. This is what Jesus is calling on for these religious leaders to hear so that they will know that he is who he claims to be. Notice it's miracles. God You see it specifically in verse 36. The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. We're moving to another testimony here. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. See, John was just a start. The Father had determined works for me to accomplish. They testify of me. John chapter 3, verse 2. You recall this. Nicodemus comes by night to Jesus, says you must be from God. Nobody can do the things you are doing unless he be from God. Turn with me to John 7, verse 31. Flip over to John 7, verse 31. It says in 31 of John chapter 7, But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying when the christ comes he will not perform more signs than those which this man has will he this must be the messiah the number of signs he's performing they have to, he has to be the messiah go to john chapter 10 verse 23 It was winter, verse 23 says, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. Look at the works. Just look at the works. They testify of me. Go down to verse 36 of the same chapter. Verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Flip over to John 14, 11. Believe me, verse 11 of John 14. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Listen, I am I the Messiah? Am I the Messiah? Check out the miracles. The answer is clear. There's a scene in Matthew 20. You don't have to turn there. In Matthew 20, two blind men on the road, the Jericho Road, two blind men. And they, they, they cry out, it says in 2029, it says they cried out saying they heard Jesus was coming by. They couldn't see him. They could see enough to know They could see it enough to know that this was the son of David, that this was the Messiah. Listen to this just as I read it to you. And the two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. I I can't see you, but by the things I hear you are doing, you must be the son of David. They weren't so blind not to be able to see that. The the power just added up. The power just added up equals God. This man is God. The crowd told him to be quiet, but they kept crying out louder and louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus, says, is moved with compassion and he heals them. Just do the math, he says. Do the math, count the quality of the work that I am doing. It all testifies to the fact that I am the Son of God. Peter, when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, this man whom you crucified, uh, he was attested to be the Son of God by what? The miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Acts 2, Peter's sermon. In John 21, 25, you can turn there. John 21, 25. It says in verse 25 of John 21, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we just got some of it. Some of the miracles. Go back to John chapter 5. We've gone the lesser to to the great the miracles but now we to the greatest lesser to the greatest the third testimony is the old testament scriptures they had the old testament scriptures verse 37 of John chapter 5 this is the testimony of the scriptures the father who sent me he has testified of me you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form jesus says the Father testifies of me. What, in the context we're going to see in a moment, he's talking about through the Old Testament Scriptures, talking about God testifying to Christ in the Scriptures, the God-breathed Scriptures. That's what Second Timothy tells us. God breathed the Word of God. God breathed the Scriptures. The Scriptures come from the mouth of God. Everywhere you go the, um, throughout the Old Testament, The word of the Lord came upon me. That is a phrase that is used over and over and over again. That these are God's words. These are God's words. And Jesus is saying that the Father has testified of me. We're going to see he's talking about in the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed. The scriptures are ongoing. The miracles, that just lasted for a season. John the Baptist... Just a few, just a few years, a couple of years. Scriptures sustained. You got them with you today. We still got them. The greatest testimony to who Christ is is the Word of God. He tells them. He says, "You do not know. You neither heard His voice or seen Him at any time. You do not know God. You've never heard His voice. You've never seen His form." Yeah, I'm standing right here in front of you. No one has seen God at any time, John 1.18 says. The only begotten God is in the bos- bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I'm standing right here in front of you. I am the Word made flesh. The Word was with God, and the Word is God. And you do not see. You do not see. You do not hear. Verse 38, we're in John 5 still? John 5, 38. You do not have his Word, notice, abiding in you, you do not believe him whom he sent. They had the scripture, had absolutely no impact on them. It was not abiding in them. That is the reason they do not know God. This is so important, folks, so important. You have the scriptures, but the words of the scripture make no impact on you because they're not in you. It's one thing to have a Bible. It's another thing to have the Bible in you. It's one thing to carry the scriptures around with you. It's another thing to have the scriptures carrying you. Big difference. John 8 says if, if my word abides in you, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. It's very important very important. We own a lot of Bibles. we all got a lot, lots of scriptures. We've got Bibles laying everywhere. The question is not how many Bibles do I have. The question is the Word of God in me. The psalmist says, I have hid your Word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The renewing of your mind, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, The Word of God is so important to have in us. The inner man to be strengthened and built up by the Word of God. And the reason I know that it's not in you is because you reject me. You reject me. Verse thirty-nine of John chapter five: You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. This is this is a this isn't just a Pharisee problem. This is a Bible church problem too. You search the scriptures. It's very easy to search the scriptures. Search is a strong word. Search is like wild dogs tracking down game. Natural men do not understand the things of God. I said that earlier. These guys would memorize the word of God. They would teach the word of God. They would quote it in numerous situations and debate it constantly. They would change it to fit their lifestyle. They would impose their own traditions on it. They would do all of those things. They did not see the Word of God as living. Something that would live in them. They looked for eternal life. He says in verse 39, you believed in them, you would have eternal life, but you missed the very message that is preaching. Galatians says the law of God was to be our tutor to Christ. It's to be what points us to Christ, what instructs us toward Christ. Keeping the law never saved anybody. The law of God was given to a people who were already in covenant with God to reflect that they belonged to God. The law was given to show you that you cannot keep it. The law was given to show you that you need a Savior. The law was given to you to show you what sin looks like when you break it. The law was meant to point you to Christ and your need for a Savior. You missed that. You missed that, religious leaders. You missed its purpose. Turn to 1 John 5, verse 9. 1 John 5, verse 9. Let me show you something. If we, 1 John 5, verse 9, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have the Son. You don't have life. You don't have the Son. You don't have eternal life. If you die without the Son, you experience the wrath of God. You experience an eternal condemnation. You experience eternal hell. Life is in the Son. They miss this. Eternal life is found in the Scripture. You read it every day. You read it every day. But their hearts were like Teflon. Is that your heart? Like Teflon? You just heard it so much, it just bounces off. That's what their hearts are like, like Teflon. They don't remain in it. They don't abide in it. They don't apply it. They don't submit to it. They don't want it to have authority in their life. I think of Simeon and Anna, Old Testament saints in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Both of them spent much time in God's word. They were looking for the coming of Messiah. They had read the Old Testament and They believed. They believed. Yet, he says in verse 40, notice verse 40, read back in John 5 now, leave leave 1 John, go back to John 5, verse 40, this is important. He says, yet you are unwilling to come to me. You read it every day, you search it out every day, yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Life. I read this verse earlier. I need to say something about this so I can be clear with you on something very important that this verse brings to surface here. This has to do with salvation. It has to do with the idea of unwillingness. Listen, every sinner is going to be held responsible for their unwillingness, their unbelief. However, salvation is happens because of God's will. Salvation happens because of God's will. Condemnation happens because sinners are unwilling. Follow me. The basis of judgment is unwillingness. The basis of judgment is the fact that you will not, that you're unwilling to leave your sin And the darkness, I read to you from John 3.19 earlier. That is the basis of condemnation, unwillingness. If you are saved, God gets the credit, all the credit. If you are saved and you believe on the name of the Son of God, God gets all the credit. You're born from above, you don't contribute anything to that. God gets all the credit. Sinners take the responsibility and are culpable for their unbelief. Do you follow me? This is the truth of the Scripture. God can never be blamed for somebody's unbelief. God gets all the credit for your salvation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God did something. By grace, he did something to make you alive. That's what I told you last week in John 5, 24 and 25. You can't do verse 24 without verse 25. You can't believe unless you have been raised from the dead spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and God did something. He made you alive. Now, all I'm going to say to this is this. These are two truths of Scripture that run side by side. The unwillingness... Of the unbeliever. He's culpable for that. He will be judged for that. The salvation of the Christian and the believer, it's because God has done something and He gets all the credit and all the glory, and you contribute nothing to that. I don't know how to reconcile that, folks. I don't know how to reconcile that. But you cannot say that God has decreed anybody to hell. That's not true. You can't find that in the scripture. I can't say he has decreed some to salvation. I can't say that. I can't say more than the scripture says. Don't try to get philosophical with this or you'll go into error quick. Just be biblical. Just think biblically about unwillingness and salvation. God does it all in salvation. The sinner is responsible for his unwillingness to believe. Very important truth. And they're both taught in the Scripture. They're both taught in the Scripture, and they run side by side, and there's never any effort by God to reconcile them to fit into our finite minds. I have to save that one for heaven. So to help, just helping you understand, you never, judgment is never attributed to a decree of God about that person It's always their unwillingness. And that is why you see verses like, whosoever will may come, whoever believes will have everlasting life. That's why you have statements like that. And that's the reason we take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that people might believe. So in verse 40, go back to verse 40. In all the supporting evidence that I have given to you, about who I am you are still unwilling you are still unwilling they wanted association with god they did not want to look to the god's sent son they were not submissive to that then jesus does something in verses 41 and following he states some characteristics of this unwillingness Notice in verse 41, I did not receive glory from men. Excuse me, uh, Jesus speaking. I do not receive glory from men. The first thing is, you do not honor the Messiah. That is a characteristic of unbelief, unwillingness. You do not honor the Messiah. You do not glorify him. You hate him. You despise him. And therefore, you're unwilling to believe in him. Unbelievers do not honor Christ. He came to his own. They did receive him not. Verse 42, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Second point, the second characteristic of your unbelief is you don't love God. You may say you love God. If you don't love the Son, you don't love God. If you don't love the Son, you don't love God. You have the great, greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, the Shema. You wear it On your forehead, a phylactery, you wear it on your forearm to remind you to do and to think the Word of God. And yet you do not do it. You do not do it. You do not love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If you reject Christ, you do not love God. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 42. That's a characteristic of your unbelief. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Israel had a history of taking on other messiahs. Josephus wrote about 70 of them that Israel would kind of go along with for a while until they were proven to be heretical. You're always looking for somebody. I come, make the claim, give the proof, give all the evidence, you reject me, but you'll take others. See that? Verse 43. They were always chasing after false messiahs. One day they're going to go after the Antichrist. When the true Messiah comes with all the evidence, you just look the other way. Verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you're not to seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You just keep heaping accolades on each other. Um... You think more of man's testimony than you do of God. You you just go around seeking glory from one another, praising each other. It's a a mutual admiration group society that you've got going here. You're just always seeking praise from one another. You you, you tend to be drawn to people that will make you feel good about you so you can have glory and self-exaltation and glorify yourself. You hang around people that make you feel good about you. They did their deeds to be seen by men because they wanted to be praised. We're told in Matthew 23, they gave their money, they they fasted, they prayed, they did it all in public just to be seen by men. You want to give the glory. You don't want to give glory to the Father or glory to the Son. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. You don't, third characteristic of their unwillingness is they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the Scripture. I call the very Scriptures that you claim to believe, to judge you, the words of Moses, which testify of me. Deuteronomy 18.18, there's a prophet who is coming greater than Moses. Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the books of Moses that you elevate. The very books that you claim to have all this authority, you sit in the seat of Moses. And yet that very, those very words will one day judge you verse 46 says if you believed moses you would believe me for he wrote about me remember the story of lazarus and the rich man and the rich man was treated lazarus horribly throughout his life this is a parable most likely a parable it is a parable a parable that jesus is telling they both die lazarus and the rich man die the rich man goes to hell the rich man is in hell, experienced the torments of hell and he says to, to Father Abraham or whoever, I think it's Father Abraham, I can't get the story right in my mind just yet, but the point is, he, he says, let me go back and warn my brothers about this place. Let me go back and warn them because I don't want them to experience hell. If they, have, if they see that I came back from the dead, that will surely convince them that this is tr- that what I'm telling them is true. Jesus says, Jesus says, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they will not believe. They have Moses and the prophets, that's all they need. Point is, some great experience like that doesn't convince anybody, i.e. Jesus rose from the dead and he was still rejected. And finally, verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Luke 24 says, when Jesus was... After his resurrection, he said to his disciples, These are my words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again, even on the third day. Even today, Jews have the scriptures. They have the scriptures. They have Moses and the prophets. They know. They have all the writings of what is said about the Messiah. And yet they still reject him. It's not enough just to hear, folks. If you come to this church, this is what you're going to hear. But it's not enough just to hear. You must believe. You must come to him. What stands in your way? Is it self-glory like these guys? Is that your unwillingness to give glory to Christ? Unwillingness to love God? Is that what is stopping you? I would say the way you know you're a Christian is, one, I desire to love God with all my heart. Secondly, I desire to give glory to Christ. And thirdly, I am not about me. I want to follow him and deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. So Jesus gives these instructions about his deity to these who oppose him. And the opposition is going to get hotter and hotter and hotter as we go through the book of John. He says things they do not want to hear. He breaks their Sabbath, their rules, and he claims to be God. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to come to this table this morning. praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we worship, whom we exalt. Father, may that be the testimony of this church, that we make much of Christ, that we make much of him because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. We call men and women to salvation to believe on the name of Jesus. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.